Welcome to the Old Spiral Podcast. My name is Brian Grimm, and as always, sitting with me is Drew Evans. Drew, did you have a great day or what? Yeah, man, it was a great time talking to Bob Thorson about uh, the KMOK Rock to Riches uh, contest that uh, took place here in the 80s in Lewiston, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I mean, man, it was just fun, and it was fun to sit down and hear all those stories and learn about all of those cool bands that existed back in the day, all those cool venues and just how much music was happening in the Valley at that time. Yeah. He had a wealth of information. And I think one of my biggest takeaways was how many bands and how many venues there were. I just, Mm -hmm. that's really cool. And I kind of wish it was still, still in vogue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing that we wanted to do before we got moving Uh, forward into this episode was uh, kind of do a little bit of a recap on Casey's as we are still kind of in this rock and roll uh, thing that we're doing with the show. And uh, we just wanted to supplement a couple things that we noticed um, after doing that episode, which is... Oh, we sat down and you I finally watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was really good. Super good But movie. one thing we noticed was uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders showing up quite a bit. Yeah, I think there's like four or five of their songs on the soundtrack. So that's pretty cool. So go check that out. Check out the uh, the uh, soundtrack for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you can you can get a taste of Paul Revere and the Raiders. And I mean, there again is just another example of that band and their level of fame, and still persists to this day. And uh, I mean, I don't know if Sharon Tate really liked Paul Revere <laughs> and the Raiders or not, but the movie sure makes it seem like she did. Yeah, right. Maybe Two close-up shots of the records. Yep. And, uh, yep. and remember, they were a Boise band, which is super cool. Absolutely, yeah. And played Casey's several And played times. Casey's. Speaking of Casey's, uh, we have been informed that we may have been pronouncing their last name wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From a number of different people. And uh, unfortunately, we still don't really know how to say it. <laughs> We're not any smarter, turns out. Uh, we thought we had it down, but then we went to record and we were like, how do you say it? Yeah, just off print, we were pronouncing it Padre, but a few other uh, people that have that actually knew them, that knew Casey, have been pronouncing it Patori. Right. So, um, however it's pronounced, we're super glad it was a thing and, and yep. <laughs> we're sorry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, just to kind of bridge the gap between that episode and this one, we actually found out from Bob that Casey's was reopened a number of times in um, the 80s for a few shows. And and they apparently, later on into the 90s, tried to make it a thing when um, the Seattle sound came about and the grunge thing was happening. And there were uh, some people that were invested in making that venue happen and bring out bands like... Pearl Jam and uh, Soundgarden and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, it never happened. You'll have to listen to the episode to learn more about that. But yeah, Bob's got some good information on it. Yeah, yep. So I think that's kind of our recap. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, just real quick, speaking of bridging the gap, let me bridge the gap of bridging the gap. Sure. Is uh, this podcast, yeah, we've got certain episodes. These two are on music. Uh, future episodes will be on various topics. But we hope to keep the conversation going. So if you mm-hmm. listen throughout, we're, we'll probably talk about Casey's on episodes in the future or maybe some of the bands that were mentioned in this uh in our interview with bob thorson um so yeah we have individual episodes but we'll we'll come back to them yeah definitely and i mean as we move through topics we'll probably reference stuff constantly yeah definitely 
whatever, you know. Um, and I'm also excited that this is going to be the first of hopefully many interviews too. So, Oh yeah, this was such a good interview. Yep. Yep. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And just to give everybody kind of a backstory on how this all came about was, um, before this podcast was a thing and really before Brian and I even started hanging out very regularly, um, I was, uh, in my teenage years, I guess, probably 18 or 19, and I was digging through the bins at uh, Goodwill looking for records, and I happened to come across this really cool-looking record, and uh, I started looking at it closer, and I went, oh, holy shit, that's actually Lewiston on the cover. And what it is is this chick that's riding on the back of a serpent. We'll post it on Facebook and oh, Instagram man. so you can see, and you have to see it's it. It's cool. It looks, again, and I mentioned this in the episode, but it looks legitimately like something that should be airbrushed on like a, a van <laughs> from the 70s. Yeah. Um, but it's it's this chick that's riding on a serpent. She's obviously in the Snake River, and you can see um, – what I guess is called the the Blue Bridge. I don't know what its official name is. Oh, <laughs> I Blue used bridge. to know, and now I don't. Now yeah. that you say that. And then the bridge that go. I don't know that name. Memorial, that right? The, no, the Memorial Bridge is over by Pepsi Park. Oh, the bridge that runs up right. to Bryden Canyon. Yep, we are super <laughs> knowledgeable. Don't worry about us. Folks. Anyway, it's in the it's in the painting, and yeah. it, it's super cool. So anyway, I started looking at this. I flipped it over. And I realized that said Cam okay on it. Okay, I kind of loosely know what that is. That was a radio station at one point, and dug into it further and found out, man, all these bands are from Lewiston. Yeah, and started reading the back, and it's about this Miller High Life rags to riches, rock to riches, rock to riches yeah. contest in and- which all of these different bands were invited to compete to be um, awarded. I believe it was a record deal and twenty five thousand dollars worth of Rickenbacker gear. Yeah, which is awesome. That would be right. fantastic. Yeah, and and KMOK was a radio station. It uh, owned by the McElvies, who and it it's always been affiliated with KRLC. Hmm. So KRLC is still going on, but KMOK was started as um, they wanted an adult rock station. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I took this thing home. I rushed home to listen to it. Um, put it on the turntable, and lo and behold, a bunch of the songs are pretty good. They are really not bad. And I always wondered for years, like, who the hell were these people? And, like, if there are enough bands on this album to make a record in the 80s, you know, what kind of history was there back then? How many bands were there? Where did people play shows? You know, how did this all come about? And so I kind of had this thing that I wondered about, like I said, for all these years, and when Brian and I talked about doing this podcast, I said, we need to do an episode about this. Yeah, and it turns out that I actually know uh, really well a member of the band that's on the record. They were called Striker, mm-hmm. and then they uh, changed their name to the Zeeks later, but I, I grew, my dad was good friends with uh, two of, well, three of the members of uh, Striker at the time, and so it was really nice to be able to interview someone from this record. Mm-hmm. And the song on the record by Stryker is... Be My Test Tube Baby. Right. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I I, have a it's, a... it's not a great record player system right now. I, yeah. I, my other one's kind of dismantled at the moment. But I did record the album. The quality's not amazing, but it's good enough, and we'll upload some yeah. of those songs. In any case, we'll have it on YouTube or somewhere where you can... Go and listen to that. Yeah, check out our Facebook. Uh, you'll be able to find the links from there. 
Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Miller Rock to Riches. So this this was started by a uh, record company out of Houston, Texas, and their whole idea was there's a lot of great local talent. We we should try to get these guys on the radio mm-hmm. and uh, having local talent competitions to get radio deals and record deals was kind of a thing already right. so it wasn't anything new but these guys started out with um something called big music america and it did pretty well it sold a lot of records but the problem was they were having trouble getting the record companies to buy all the albums and to do all the promotion stuff because they weren't really getting anything out of it uh, so what they did was they found a corporate sponsor in Miller Beer, and they the uh, the Big Music America it went for uh, one or two years, and then they, when they teamed up with Miller, they termed it Rock to Riches, mm. and it was very difficult to find out any information online. There's right. very little information online yeah. on anything Rock to Riches. We did find a really cool website that had uh, you could go on and you could look at and you could click it. Almost all of the albums that were made at local radio stations, you could see the artwork and everything. Yeah, and what was the what was the one from Anchorage that we really liked? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> the band was called like Sprendard or something like oh, that. Spendard. 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 And their song was "Beware of Young Girls." It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was all around really but weird. But you could see all the album art from all these, and Drew was talking about the album art earlier, and it yeah. was definitely the coolest. Ours, by far, in a way, was the coolest. I mean, the other records, like, no offense to whoever was on it and the albums were well, whatever, but these it, guys, they were phoning it in in terms of the album artwork. They ours, really were. Ours the was guys, a uh, The record piece of place art. that started it was Starstream, and yeah. uh, they would provide radio stations with stock art if they mm. wanted it. Yeah, and so were there... Um, other competitions similar to this that were going at that time, or was this kind of the one? There were, and I didn't spend a, a whole lot of time looking at, at other stuff. I know mm-hmm. that these guys, after they did the Miller Rock to Riches, which ran from 82 to 83, mm-hmm. they did another one called Superstar Talent Search, and then uh, they teamed up with Budweiser, and they did the Budweiser Showdown. Mm-hmm. Um, in their whole career, they di- they ended up with over 300 um uh, local music compilation records, which is a lot. They made a ton of records. Right. And one thing that we talk about in depth in the interview was that for us to sit and record stuff, it's not really a big deal anymore. There's a lot of free software. Microphones aren't very right. expensive. But back then, to for a young band to get their music like in a physical form was mm-hmm. really cool. Right. And so what these guys were doing was awesome. And uh, a couple of the things I found was John Bon Jovi got his start. I don't know if he won the final competition, but John Bon Jovi was on one of these Rock to Riches albums out of New York, and Brett Michaels of Poison, he was on a Rock to Riches album. Uh, he he won second in their local stuff. They were called the Spectres at that time. And uh, was John Bon Jovi just John Bon Jovi, or was he in a band at that time? Um, I don't recall. Hmm. Yeah, I think he was in a band. Yeah, but I yeah I don't remember. Cool. Uh, it was 
There's a song I think is Runaways. It was on the it was on the album. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and you can go on. The albums aren't too difficult to find. I was lucky enough to find uh, an, an interview with one of the Starstream guys, and he kind of talked about what was going on. But as Drew said, yeah, they won a record deal. Uh, so the year that um, KMOK did a record. The winner that year was a band called Enos and the Invaders. Uh, but when they won, they got the recording contract. They had to change their name, but they turned into Rampage, which <laughs> might sound familiar, might not. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll put links to music that you can go listen to, and yeah, you can hear all that good stuff. Um, so once Miller Brewing got in, they were able to offer... Uh, the radio stations, um, ad time. So they got money for running Miller ads. They were able to have, uh, CBS pressed a lot of the records. Um, they had different record pressing stations all over the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the cool part is, is they'd make these records. So you'd get all the local radio stations. There were 41 across the country. Mm. They would each have, you know, eight to 10 bands on the record. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there would be ballots inside the record. Right. And people would buy the record. They'd vote for their favorite band. Right. Send it in. The ballots would be tallied. And then you'd get each one of those 41 stations had a winner. Right. And then there were they broke the country up into regions and then had regional playoffs. Yeah. Uh, which Bob was telling us it was a battle yeah. of the bands in Moscow. And the Zeeks were one of the three finalists for our local one. And I think he said Eclipse. <laughs> And that is something interesting that I was actually hoping to find when I opened up this record when I got home was that ballot because I think it mentions it on that on the jacket of that. Um, record that I have that I found at Goodwill all those years ago, and uh, it's not in there. So I'm assuming whoever purchased that record sent in their ballot, which is kind of cool too. Yeah, um, that is so cool. It'd be a lot of fun. It'd just be so much fun. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's just amazing to consider that here's this little podunk town in, in Idaho, you know, Lewiston, that's again, invited to be a part of this national stage musically. Yeah. And Um, one of the things we've been finding out is this little podunk Lewiston town, there has been some really great music that's come out of and through here. Absolutely. Uh, Who did Bob say was here in the 50s? Like the bands? Uh, No, that person. Oh, it was a jazz guy. Um, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, Louis Louis Armstrong Armstrong came through, yeah. Which makes sense because um, there's also like, the Lionel Hampton jazz oh, festival right. that yeah, happens. Yeah. And I always wondered what that connection was. And I don't know if that has anything to do with Louis Armstrong coming to town. We'll have to find out. Maybe that'll be another episode in the future. But we do have a strong tie to jazz in this area as well. 
yeah. uh, for whatever reason. So oh, we do. We'll have to delve further into that. Yeah, so it was just a lot of fun. It was good having Bob here. Uh, like I said, Rock to Riches went two years. They tried to do another couple um, talent searches. Uh, some were more successful than others. The last one they did is they ha- actually held a Hispanic talent search. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> yeah, they, they did the finals in the Houston Astrodome. Huh. And that was the that was the last one they did, and they and Starstream Records finally shut down in 1991. Hmm. So that's what we got for Miller High Life. Bob has that's a plethora of information on Miller High Life, Rock to Riches, yep. and then just music in general in the area. Yeah, for the 80s, 90s, yep. and early aughts. It was awesome for Bob to come in and spend some time with us. Very comprehensive, very knowledgeable. Um, it was just really fun to get to know Bob and learn learn about. Uh, Again, all that music history, and it was just a great time. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, one last thing. Um, also, during the, the the late 80s and early 90s, CDs were coming becoming popular, mm-hmm. and they were a lot more expensive to make than the albums, and that kind of didn't help anything. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it. I think we're, we're about ready to jump over to our interview with Bob. Yep. Yeah. Stick around. Check that out. It was a great time, and thanks for listening. All right. Before we get to uh, the interview, really quick, I just wanted to let everyone know what's going on in the Valley this weekend. Yeah, and if you are a local business or um, an event center and you want to hit us up and let us know of some events that you're going to have regularly or if you just want to keep us in touch with that, um, feel free to email us at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. That way we can make sure that everybody's always in the loop on the things that are happening at your space. Yeah, and you'd be surprised at what's happening uh, in the middle of January in Lewis and Idaho. Yeah. Uh, okay, so on the 17th, which is Friday today, uh, tonight we have Shania Raleigh's playing at Parejas. And I don't know if you've been into Parejas lately, but they have really good wine. The owners are super friendly, and it's a really fun place to go. I've played there a couple times. I'll let you know next time I do. Um, but it's it's a nice... It's a nice little uh, uh, winery. Also happening on Friday the 17th, we've got uh, – it's a, a, um, a duo, I think. Mm. They call themselves – I think it's Kelly Wolf. They'll be at Lindsay Creek, so you can go enjoy some more wine there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also on the 17th in the evening. Um, it's at 6, right? I think it's at 6 o'clock. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, the Elks Lodge will have the Senders. They're, uh, they're a band. I think they looked to be a little older. Um <laughs> I'm sure they're awesome. Uh, that starts at 6 also on Friday the 17th. Uh, and then Gregory Ray is uh, hosting uh, a bun dance, and that's at Deja Vu Yoga Studios, and that starts at 7. Also on Friday, uh, Tone Sober will be at MJ Barley Hoppers. And then Saturday, Shania is playing again at Brock's. And then uh, Parejas has a couple events. They're doing a wine glass painting at noon. And then Mark Fowler will be playing at 7 o'clock. And I think Bob mentioned Mark Fowler briefly in the interview. Yeah, he may have. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's what's going on this weekend. Stay tuned for more uh, great information on the Valley, past and present. And we'll keep you updated on events, too. And always check us out um, at the beginning and at the bottom of the episode for events. Yeah, and Drew, where can everyone find us just one last time? Yeah, of course. Everybody can find us at Old Spiral Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you want to email us, if you have questions about the show, or again, if you want to keep us updated on events, you can email us at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. And I think without further ado, let's get to the interview.
Okay, we're sitting here with Bob Thorson. Bob is a longtime uh, Lewiston Clarkston resident. Um, he taught marketing in the business division at LCSE. He owned uh, Pepperland Records in downtown Lewiston near Brackenberry Square. And uh, recently he has uh, started and is the uh, division chair for uh, the Lewis Clark Valley Loggers football team. And when I talked to Bob trying to schedule this interview, he was out doing some recruiting for the Loggers football team. Uh, I've known Bob for a long time. He was a really good friend of my dad's. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to him. He's got a lot of great information on local bands that were around in the 80s, 90s, a little after. And specifically, he's got a lot of good information for our Miller High Life Rock to Riches album. So, Bob, how are you doing today? Good. Nice to see you, Brian. Thanks. Yeah, and it was the, I was the, I'm the director, director. of the Lewis Clark What did I say? Yeah. You're the director yeah, of the Lewis if there was a division chair, chair, I would be that too. Well, words. What are you <laughs> going to do with them? You might throw in there too that he was in bands. Oh, right. Yeah, Bob, you were in uh, Striker, which you guys, you were telling me you never really liked that name, and so you changed it to the Zeeks, correct? Right, right. If if you want, you know, to go back to the very beginning, um, we formed in high school uh, a few buddies. In fact, we we formed a band before we had even selected our instruments. (laughs) Oh, really? So we walked into it backwards, yeah, and, and picked up instruments and originally got together to do the 50s days. Uh, be a band for the, the 50s days at Lewiston High School. Oh, uh, I talked to Scott. He told me the name of that band. Would you mind sharing it with Yeah, we were, we were called the Beaver Cleavers. I think Scott's <laughs> dad came that's up awesome. with that, and that's a, a triple entendre. But, uh, yeah, so so we did that, and it, and it was really fun, and it, it created some excitement, and we thought, you know, this is this is too good to quit after this. So we started the band at that time. We were sophomores in high school. And so we started practicing and learning a few tunes and, and uh, worked our way into our first gig, which I think was uh, Scott's mother hired us for the 1960 class reunion. That was our 20th class reunion that we did that in 1980. Uh, and then we just kept playing and just expanded our repertoire and, and got a little bit better and started playing throughout the Northwest in clubs and um, dances and and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun and that sort of went on in some incarnation or another for about twenty years. So you said you started the band before you had instruments picked out. You ended up with bass. Who were your other band members and how did you guys decide what instruments? You well, were we, well, they, that was sort of true with a couple of us. A couple of us were already playing. Steve Cyphers was already playing guitar, and Brad Crosby was already playing drums. Uh, and then at that time, we had Brad and, and Steve and Scott and I and a, another guitar player named Brian Heflin. And then we had a fifth member that was sort of a rotating spot. We had a couple other guys as the fifth member for a, a couple of years, and then we, we, we were a four-piece after that. Okay. And you guys, over your years, you opened for bands like George Thorogood. I remember that concert. I was a little kid for that one. And I think when Tommy Two-Tone came to town, were you guys opening for him? Yeah, and those two concerts were quite a few years apart. Um, Some of the more recent ones, and and you were a little kid, but to to me, they're the recent shows. Um, I started promoting shows and and hosting those at the uh, fairgrounds. Uh, Nespers County Fairgrounds, and so the the George Thorogood show was one that Lee McVeigh from Cozy Radio did. But we also brought in Kansas 
and uh, April Wine and Black Oak, Arkansas. Really? When were they here? Blue Oyster Cult and uh, Ozark Mountain Daredevils and The Knack brought in a lot of shows. But that was sort of in the later years of the band where we would get together periodically to to open these big shows uh, where we'd bring these headliners in. And how that started was I was going to the, the Gorge frequently and I thought, well, wouldn't this be cool to to host more shows in town in Lewiston, do kind of the scaled down version, kind of like what I'm doing with the, the loggers now. Big fan of Wazoo football. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool to have sort of a scaled down version of that, you know, a, a, a small local version? And so that that's what we were doing then. I've been to some logger games. They're a lot of fun. They are fun. They're even more fun when you win. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, so, is everybody from the Beaver Cleavers what's eventually going to become Stryker and then the Zeeks? Or did, was there a little bit of lineup changes there? Well, there was, but it was, like I said, it was sort of that, that fifth person role that where we had a, a couple of, of... Originally, Scott was just the vocalist, and then we had a, a second guitar player. But once we scaled it down to a fourth piece, a four piece, um, Scott was playing guitar by that time. And so that incarnation lasted until Brad Crosby left in 1986 to go off to school. Gotcha. And then uh, then we got a, a drummer named Ty Andrews, um, another local drummer uh, that was a couple years younger than us. And then there was a, another drummer after that named Jerry Lynn. And then there was one named Bill Wilcox. And Bill Wilcox has played in local bands for years. And then after that, starting about 1989, Jeff Young joined the band, and he's been the drummer ever since. And Jeff is a guy that's been in, in bands Oh, throughout the 70s, he's, he was with the Seidel Brothers, and he's played in another 10 bands over the years. But Jeff has been our drummer since 1989, whenever we get together. Very cool. And Je- and Jeff Young, he was he's also on the KMOK album with uh, somebody named Shaver. That's a song that Jeff had, and Grady Schauber was a, a really great local guitar player. And then Jeff hired a couple other hired guns to, to sing uh, or to, to play and sing on that song. Uh, the, the vocalist, I think, was one of those hired guns. And, and yeah, so that was something he did. So how did bands, well, I mean, I guess we should back up. How did Cam OK get involved in this competition? Well, the program manager or station manager, Steve McKelvey, um, he and, well, actually his dad had KRLC for for decades, and Steve was a a real music aficionado and and was really, really loved music, just beyond being a a station manager, program director. And so when this promotion came along, he was all in, uh, and he promoted it heavily, and um, advertised it and got a lot of the regional bands interested in Lewiston and Clarkston, Pullman and Moscow, uh, to send in, in their tapes and then, uh, advertised it. So local artists would uh, submit their artwork, uh, competing to be selected for the album cover. 
So Steve was 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 really great, uh, very smart, very knowledgeable. He has since moved to Portland, where I think he was working doing uh, promotions or uh, advertising with the uh, Portland Trailblazers for a while. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah, so he's done. Uh, he was a, an ad guy that did very well. Okay. So our last episode was on Casey's Twist and Rock. Um, were any of the bands that were on this record, were they around for the Casey's period, or were they more younger guys like you guys were? Um, well, I don't remember too many of those bands on that. You know, some, some of the bands on that were sort of a one-off thing, some of the, the solo artist things. And then, and then there, was, um, there was bands from Moscow and, and Lewiston, and that, I don't remember a lot of those bands playing at, at Casey's with the exception of, of Eclipse. I think they did some, some shows down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Casey's laid dormant for, oh, from the late 60s, probably in 1974. Oh, was it open? Yeah, yeah I didn't they, realize it was that they open. They cut down shows to maybe like once, once a, a year. month, once a month, once a year. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And then he moved to Portland, Pep. Pateray, which we never did decide how you pronounce his name correctly. I know we spent it's, the it's, it's Patori, Pat Patori. Yeah, we butchered that. And, gotcha. and <laughs> Casey was actually his son. His son and daughter are still in the region. They've right. been in, in, in Grangeville for many years. And, and Casey, his son, is is who that that uh, the, the club was named after. But right. that had been a dance hall for many many years. Lewiston's got a rich musical history and. Uh, there were some some big name jazz guys that came through here in the in the forties and fifties, including Louis Armstrong. And wow. Uh, wow. But uh, but but what Pat did, um, in fact, it was a, really a unique dance club. And it sounds like you've done a little bit, you know, in another program with the history of that. But uh, Pittori had a friend down in San Francisco. Uh, when the whole psychedelic shows and the light shows and the projectors and all that stuff was happening uh, right before the summer of love, I think it was late 1966, and he went down there and saw what was going on and saw what his buddy was doing down there, came back to Lewiston and emulated that. Mm-hmm. So really there was nothing like it between San Francisco and Chicago at that time. And I know when some of the bands, the Bay Area bands would come up here, and they felt like they had been dropped off, you know, on the, <laughs> on the on the surface of the moon until they went into this club. And they thought, oh, geez, this is really happening. I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe that, that here we are in the middle of nowhere. And they've got this this unbelievable, cool psychedelic club. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's how he was able to and it, with his buddy down in San Francisco. He was able to network and get some of the big bands like Moby Grape and Mm -hmm. and uh, and Blue Cheer and and um, uh, a lot of those bands. Blue Cheer was one that a band that never did show up, Uh, but there you know Buffalo Springfield and um, oh gosh, there were were a lot of them. Oh, it was yeah, it's extensive. We we covered a lot of the bands. is incredible. I had Electric no idea. Prunes, another one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, wow. And, and Moby Grape, um, they're from Seattle, right? The West Side? A couple of the guys are from, from Seattle. Don Stevenson, the drummer, was from Seattle. And I, Bob Mosley may have spent some time up there, but they were a Bay Area band. I mean, they broke oh, okay. out of the, the Bay Area, but yeah, a couple of guys were from Seattle. And and the Zeeks, you guys went over and played a lot in Seattle, didn't you? We did, and that's, that's when we got network. We... You know, there were some great bands that almost broke out huge um, from the Seattle area. The, the Heats and the Cowboys and the Allies. 
Um, you know, this was 10 years before Seattle exploded. But, I, you know, we really like the bands that, that were there, you know, 10 years before the Seattle explosion. And it was this sort of uh, power pop, um, rock and roll. Um, the Heats were, you know, really British invasion influenced, really, you know, real Beatley and um, and they were they were great bands. So yeah, we got connected with with some of them. And then, uh, in fact, one of the members of the Heats was named Steve Pearson, and he formed the Rainshoods in the mid '80s. And we toured with them all over the Northwest. And they were part of the whole what they called roots rock, and we got kind of caught up in that kind of the Americana roots rock stuff that was going on in the mid '80s. So you also had one last, or not maybe one one last, but you had another tidbit on what happened to Casey's. I know this, some bands played there in the '80s, a couple of shows, and then these guys from Seattle tried to do something with it, and that that fell through. Yeah. So when we were playing there, that was like in the early to mid '80s, and the the junior. Chamber of Commerce, some of the, uh, Brad, our drummer, his older brother uh, was part of the JCs and they wanted to open up Casey's to do Casey's shows again after it had been closed for about 10 years. And to us, it was just amazing because we went up there and it, it, we still saw a lot of the stuff from, from the 60s, Casey, some of the projectors and slideshows. And there was this enormous beetle mural that was on the wall. Uh, uh, it was the inner sleeve or the, the inner gatefold cover of, of the Sgt. Pepper album um, with the, the four Beatles there in their in their colored psychedelic um, army jackets, so to speak. And and uh, and that was that was still on the wall. Somebody actually pried that off the wall. It was painted on huge boards and uh, so that somewhere that exists. But anyway, so all that stuff was still in there. So we would do these shows and and. Uh, and it, it, it was really fun. And, and 10 years to us at that time was a long time. So the fact that it had been 10 years, it was, seemed very nostalgic. And that went on for two or three years. And there was quite a few local bands that played there. And then there was a, a, a guy locally that had a bar called Off the Wall. And uh, he started opening up Casey's to do shows. And he did that for, oh, a year or two. And then it kind of closed for good uh, until the early 90s. And then... Uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> right. There was a there was a the, until the early '90s, and that's when the Seattle explosion started. That's when uh, Pearl Jam and and Soundgarden and you know all the Seattle bands were were raging at that time. And so these guys came over from Seattle, and they said, "Well, we have connections. We can bring all those Seattle bands over. We'll bring Pearl Jam in here, and we'll, we'll do it at Casey's, and we're going to remodel it, and it's going to be one of the biggest clubs in the Northwest." and had all these sort of grand plans, grand illusions, as it turned <laughs> out. Uh, so they they had enough money and wherewithal to basically enough to to, to gut the place and destroy it. Mm-hmm. They ripped it all apart and they they um, and basically left it in shambles. You know, they left you know just piles of stuff on the floor and and, and basically destroyed the the integrity or whatever historic you know stuff was in there and then blue town <laughs> and so it sat like that and then the owner john skelton the guy the he was the the, the guy that started skelton's uh, floor covering in town the first generation and, and he was an, an older guy by that time in the early oh well probably maybe late 90s by this time and then they totally gutted it they they stripped it down to to, to bare brick and i think that's how it stands today 
Mm-hmm. But you can still still see the writing on the outside. If you look, if you look there, you can still see twi- Casey's tr- twist and rock. Yeah, we and, went down and got some pictures of it. Yeah, post online. Yeah, it's great. It's still still on the brickwork out front, and and mm-hmm. so I'm glad that that remains. Yeah, and they cut down the tree that that kind of covered yeah. it, so you can really There's see it now. There's a couple trees, so right, it's no longer obstructed. Right, yeah. right. So just kind of bringing it back to our local scene here. Someone wants to get all the. <laughs> Um, how, how many bands were there around at the time of the KMOK contest, and where, where did people play shows back then? Because I was really surprised to see that there were this many bands on this record at that time. Well, and there was there was so many more before that. You know, during the '60s and the '70s. I mean, after the Beatles hit, and 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 the millions of bands came out, mm-hmm. and. Every kid in high school was in a band, That's formed awesome. a band, and and so the stories I would hear as a kid is is the hundreds of bands and the hundreds of places to play, not only for you know teen dances but for clubs mm-hmm. at any given time. You would have seven or eight clubs in Lewiston that would feature live music, several on Main Street and you know all over the place and 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 really all all different types of music, uh, and that you know that was. You know, the kind of the baby boomer generation were coming of age, you know, hitting their teenage years in their early 20s and the 60s and 70s. So you'd have this huge population mass. So there were just a ton of people and a ton of bands and a ton of clubs. And uh, that was sort of uh, waning by the time, you know, the 80s rolled around. So there were still a lot of bands around. There was still a lot of a lot of guys forming bands in high school. But but you know fewer than there were before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of bands around, and, and in the early '80s, that's when MTV hit, and so you know there was a lot of the you know, there, a lot of the, the pop stuff. You know that opened up a lot of doors for you know a lot of pop bands, and then also uh, MTV. Uh, spraying a bunch of the heavy metal bands, you know, mm-hmm. Quiet Riot had a number one album in 1983, and that they were kind of the first band to do that. And then after that, there were just you know a million bands. I mean, and you know Bon Jovi and Poison and and all of, all those 80 band 80s bands. So a lot of bands were trying to emulate that. A lot of the regional bands were trying to go either one of those directions. Um, Wearing, you know, the big hair and the, the bright clothing and, and all that stuff. And that really wasn't what we were interested in, um, mm-hmm. even though that's where the, that's what the trends were in the early 80s. And that's what a lot of bands did around here. And they played the clubs and they did, you know, the, the cover, the cover stuff and, and uh, played the clubs. But... Um, we we were kind of more interested in. I mean, we liked a lot of the the '60s British invasion stuff, the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, the Who. We really liked CCR from America, from from you know that era. And then we liked a lot of the new stuff coming out too. A lot of the oh, like the the Police and the Cars and the Clash and and that kind of stuff. Some of the, the new wave stuff, as well as the 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 roots rock stuff. Uh, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, and Bands like the Rainmakers and the Del Fuegos and Del Lords and all, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so we weren't really into the, the you know the bright clothing and the big hair. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we tend to wear you know blue jeans and you know uh, 
sometimes cowboy boots and that kind of thing, doing kind of the the, the, the roots rock stuff. So so, but but we were really. Um, enamored with writing our own stuff you know back then most bands that were playing in the clubs were, were doing cover stuff and we really like writing our own material and that's what a lot of the bands that we liked out of seattle were doing they were you know the the, the big bands were were pretty much all original bands and that's what we wanted to do and there really wasn't uh, there, there weren't a lot of bands around here doing that at that time um, but then, you know, right about that time, the whole art, what they called alternative at that time, you know, uh, we liked some of those bands like The Replacements and um, you started seeing a lot more of those bands. So U2 and R.E.M. and even those bands were called, you know, alternative early on. And so that really started picking up momentum and, and more bands started writing their own stuff. And I think there were some bands around here that were kind of influenced by what we were doing, saying that you can write your own stuff and, and have people accept it. And oh, yeah. so the next wave of bands after us in the late 80s and early 90s, that became, you know, what was considered you know the thing to do the thing to do was to, who were to be some of those bands stuff. that came after well, you well they they had a lot of a lot of different names a lot of those guys had bands that, that but but uh, so I mean some of those guys were in five or six uh, different well, bands well who were but, the main but, uh, but, but like Marvin Reidinger who's still in town um, um, Scott Cargill who's still in town yeah. Nate Alford um, Brad Parsons he's he's gone on to do quite well um Nationally, he, he he tours nationally, and then there were some guys um, like Dan Beloit and Jeff Albertson that actually moved to Seattle, and their bands did very well in the clubs for many years. So, and they had a band called the Valley, and there, there was there was a number of bands. Um, Nate Alford's first band, you know that that group of guys started with a band called Brazil, and. They had many names from Yikes to to Shack Nasty. No, no, they weren't Shack. That was Shack Nasty. Was a, a different group of guys. Uh, Gum Jungle, I think, was was another one of their names. But yeah, a lot of names and a lot of guys, and and a lot of those guys did did really well through the, the you know late nineties into the two thousands. What were some of the places that you'd play around town? Well, there were you know there was. When Off the Wall opened up, that was a really great place for us because their their whole concept was bringing in Seattle and Portland bands that were on the rise, just about ready to break nationally. And so we would play there quite a bit. Was that on Main Street? Uh, that Yeah, that was on Main Street. That was where the world-class, the, the, the gym on, oh, on Main right. Street. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's where that was. Hmm. And then the Modern West was was really popular for a while. That had been Bullwinkles in the in the seventies, and uh, so the Modern West was big. Uh, the Jade or Mimi's in in Clarkston um, was a big club. So there there was there were several of them. But we were doing we were also doing a lot of um, teen dances, um, and not only at Casey's but in the community center at the community center. Uh, but also all around the region. Back then, you would have these enormous dance halls in these tiny towns, and students from, 
teenagers from all the surrounding towns would go. So we would play up at Cottonwood, and there'd be 500 kids at those dances. <laughs> That's crazy. Or, or we would play Green Creek, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and yeah. five, 600 kids at those dances. Because you had all the kids on the prairie, and a lot of a lot would come up from the, the you know, the Clearwater Valley. Mm-hmm. And so they, it, they, it would attract... Um, kids from you know 10 or 12 surrounding high school so those were those were really fun so was the scene of bands around the time of this rock to riches record were they kind of was that kind of a tight-knit community did you kind of know all of these bands on here and were they like your buddies some and 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 some not at all now of course we knew tim olson and he's he's on the album Tim had a little studio, and he's the one that recorded our record. Um, and so, yeah, we were good friends with him. Hmm. And uh, and when we he he had what was called the Milk House Studio. He lived in an old abandoned milk house. <laughs> uh, he had an apartment there and a studio there. So that's where we did our first recordings. And I think th- we were you know maybe eighteen years old. We were right out of high school. And so that that song that's on the Rock to Riches was very very early in our in our career, and and we were still teenagers at that time. And first time in the studio, and first time writing any songs, and and uh, like I say, just a little four track studio, real minimal equipment, and but that was uh, you got to start someplace. Right. That must so, have been great having the opportunity to be on vinyl. You know, because anyone now can, anyone, any idiot now in a basement can record. <laughs> Speaking right. of myself, <laughs> well, it, no, it, but it'd it, be really cool. It, it was, it was a big deal, and, and to be on a record, it's just like you say, and, and that's true with everybody. I mean, when when you hear about Ringo Starr talking about. You know, when Love Me Do came out and he talks about being on a bit of plastic, he talks about, you know, being, you know, actually, you know, hearing a song on the radio and being on a bit of plastic. So <laughs> it is it is a certain a sense of um, it, it is, you know, something that, that, you know, bands always dreamt about was mm-hmm. been making a record. And yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, any band that I've ever been a part of, anytime you get that physical format in your hand and are able to see like the finished result of you know, getting somebody commissioned to do the artwork, going and recording it, writing the songs, it's just a cool feeling. Right, right. Well, that's what's so great about so many band, newer bands liking the whole idea of, of vinyl and the whole idea of making an album for the sake of album. Because, you know, for, for quite a few years, about the time that I closed the record store, it was more about downloading a song. And, and mm-hmm. it really didn't... It, it, who the artist was was secondary to the song you know and you would ask somebody um you know what artist do you like and they'd well i I like songs and so just downloading songs right and it kind of lost the whole uh magic or art form that was an album you know with its ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys and and how how all the songs come together to make this (laughs) unit you know or the the whole you know uh, of an album and uh, music fans and and people in bands always really like that and never lost the appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm glad that they're at an age or a stage in their careers where they can, um, 
embrace that and, and, and get their music out in that format, actually do you know right. record albums and vinyl and all that. Yeah. So I know the the winner of the total Rock to Riches for 1983, the year you guys did it, was a band called, well, they were called Enos and the Invaders, but they, they changed their name when they won to um, Rampage. But I, you, I, so who, did anybody from this album go on to any sort, I know they had regional finals and then they had national finals. Do you know if any of the bands on here made it? Well, I, I don't know that, you know, and, and you've researched that a lot more. You know, the, the Rock to Riches album was just, it was really sort of one, one minor thing, you know, that, that, that came along and, and I, I really had, didn't know the history as well as you did, but. But basically, you know, what they did locally was you know, send in your tapes. We'll select, you know, eight or ten for the album. And then there there was a ballot inside to vote for your favorite band. And the, the three top vote getters would do a playoff in Battle of the Bands up in Moscow, up at U of I. So we were one of those bands. And, and uh, Eclipse was one of those bands. And La Boline was was one of those bands. And, and uh, so that was kind of the regional semi-finals or whatever you want yeah, to call definitely. it um and and but eclipse won that bit and and i i really never heard what happened after that i don't know if they were available to to go to to any semi-finals or finals or anything like that after that i don't really remember hearing anything about you know the anything more about the rock to riches thing sure so where did where could people buy the record uh, they various outlets. They you know they had it. Of course, it, it that was before Pepperland. So Budget Tapes and Records was down on Main Street, uh, but they would they would have it at, at a number of retail outlets in town. And, and, and as I recall, it wasn't just music places or places that sold music. It was places that. Um, or a place that really had limited uh, music for sale, like I think Big V True Value Hardware Store, for example, <laughs> had them. So there was, you know, there were many outlets in town, and a lot of those places were were businesses that advertised with KMOK, you know. Oh, right, and that yeah. was, you know, that's how KMOK would. Um, they would always come up with ways to increase foot traffic for their for their um, you know people that advertise with them. So that would be one thing they would say. It's it just like when a uh, a business sells tickets for a concert. You know, the whole idea is to to get some foot traffic into the store. Right. So that's what KMLK would have done. Some of their their advertisers would have had these albums for sale. So how long did it take them to sort of get all of these bands grouped together? And then have and then were they actually were bands re, um, required to go out and find somebody to record it themselves or did they set that up for you? And then how how long did it take it to kind of wrap it up and get it to a finished product? It, it as I recall, it really came together rather quickly because it seems to me like it was maybe summer of '83 that they were working on this, and by uh, or 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 maybe early in 80, in my recollection, just a matter of months. And mm -hmm. they, they didn't do anything in terms of recording the bands or arranging that. Basically, they, the, 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 the word went out, KMLK is going to do an album, send in your tapes. And of course, a lot of, a lot of bands already had that stuff recorded. The band Sleeper, um, 
that they do the, the the song when you get the feeling. Well, that had been that recording had been around for for at least a couple of years, and and Paul Spear, um, Gary Spear's brother and sleeper, had recorded that for them. So some of those some of those recordings already existed. Mm-hmm. So it came together really rel- relatively fast. People sent in their tapes. Artists um, sent in their artwork competing to, to get the, uh, the, the the album cover and that's kind of how it went down so it was just the word went out they collected it in a hurry and put out the record huh that's pretty cool so were there quite a few outlets for young burgeoning artists to go and record or was that kind of few and far between because I know you mentioned there were lots of bands I was just curious if there were lots of places where you could go and record there there really weren't there were yeah i mean there there was tim olson what he was doing up there and then there was a place called uh, narrowmore's um, studio down on on main street and uh the narrowmore's had a, a working country they were a, a husband and wife tandem and they had a, a working country band uh, locally but that was pretty much it and then there were there, I think there was a couple of small studios, maybe in Pullman and Moscow, and then mm. some people went to Spokane. But no, there weren't a lot of outlets, and those were before the the, the days of computers and Pro Tools and right. uh, everybody being able to make records in their basement. It just it's not how it was back then. People were recording onto tape, and you needed a fair amount of outboard gear and reel-to-reel tapes and all that. So there there weren't a lot of studios there, there were some people with gear but yeah it's just right. it's just it was a different world than it is now yeah. and i imagine all that stuff was a bit of an investment up front it was probably kind of spendy to get some of that yeah it was i mean I, probably a lot of that stuff is more expensive than than what things cost now for right. recording yeah um and then i think before we get into sort of our final questions we just wanted to talk about the album art a little bit and we were discussing that before we started recording um, do you remember the artist? Yeah, it was a guy by the name of James Leslie, and uh, he, I, I remember him, he had a, um, an art studio downtown in in the 90s. That's when I knew him. I really didn't know him in the early 80s when he mm-hmm. did that, that cover art, but he'd been a local artist for a long time and uh, and submitted that. And I, at one time, I saw the top three vote-getters for, for the art, and uh, and James um, got the album cover, and then uh, he was uh, after his art studio burned down on Main Street in Lewiston. He he died prematurely. I think maybe in his fifties uh, oh. of a heart attack. That's too bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this art is is really cool, and we'll we'll post pictures of it on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. But I mean, go check it out. It looks awesome. It it looks like something that should be airbrushed on the side of a van or something. It's <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, we looked at a lot of the the album covers for these and ours is it's the coolest one we've come across and not only that but it's it's regional i mean it's got a snake to represent the snake river it's got like we were discussing earlier some geological features that are true to the valley and some landmarks like bridges yeah yeah it is it it is great that you you have that local connection it very Mm -hmm. much makes it a, a local a local thing and and uh you know just getting back to to uh the, the sleeper song um, and Gary Spear is on that. It's a good and, song. Yeah, and 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 uh, Paul Spear produced that, and uh, the Spear brothers, Paul Spear, Gary Spear, Spear and Neil Spear, um, had a couple of really big bands in the '60s in Lewiston, um, and one of their bands, Stone Garden, when they were very young, probably in their late teens, uh, 
they they did a 45, and it was recorded here in town called Oceans Inside Me. Hmm. And uh, Stone Garden is is known to be one of the great lost bands of the 60s. They had kind of a hard, psychedelic um, sound. Their sound was reminiscent of bands like Cream and Deep Purple and, and some awesome. of that. These guys were young, and but they really had that sound. They really had the sound down. And they had a, that song out on a 45, probably came out about 1969 or so. But that's a, a highly collectible 45. And, and like I said, there, there's been things that have come out uh, retroactively. There was an mm-hmm. album compilation that was put together oh, about 20 years ago uh, of their recordings. But but a really great band. Were you and, able to get any of that um through owning Pepperland, do you have yeah, any well, of those? Yeah, when I had that, when I had the record store, um, when that Stone Garden album came out, um, after the fact, there, I think there was a label in Texas that, uh-huh. that put all that out, and they had the uh, record release party at Pepperland. So uh-huh. um, Paul Spear and uh, and Neil Spear came up for that. Gary, Gary was gone by that time. Um, he's, he's no longer around, but... Um, but yeah, the other two Spear brothers came up, and uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. And and uh, when uh, like I said, that the, the original forty five that came out in nineteen sixty nine, I've seen that listed for about six hundred bucks. If wow. you can find a copy, it's 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 a real rarity. That's cool. Uh, but uh, Paul Spear went on to to have um, a great career as a producer. He's produced many bands, many bands um, that you would have heard of, as well as his own career. Doing, uh, they call it new age, but he's 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 got a very unique form of instrumental um, rock, and and uh, as a guitarist, he's he's great, and as a producer, he's really great. But he's he's had many albums, and he's done some new age albums um, that have gone, I, I think, gold. I mean, I think hmm. some of those albums have sold a half million copies. That's so he's awesome. been very successful. Yeah, he was in Seattle for years, and and uh, I think he's still in Nashville now. Yeah, I think it's Nashville where he is. Hmm. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, just tying it back to sort of that time period and uh, a neat little tidbit that we found out about Casey's. There was a band here, apparently, that was called Ogre in the mid-70s, early to mid-70s, and apparently they played at uh, Casey's every once in a while. But um, something interesting that came up was uh, there was another band also called Ogre from like now, the modern era, I guess, um, early 2000s to, to like 2010, 2012. And uh, they were from Lewiston, Maine. So oh, Ogre, really? Lewiston, Idaho, Ogre, <laughs> Lewiston, Maine. And they found out about the Ogre in Lewiston, Idaho, and then they covered one of their songs. It's, it's pretty cool. They're kind of like a proto-doom band with like sort of some prog rock influences. But I just thought that connection was really neat. Yeah, yeah. That I think Ogre was a band that had had a guy named Chuck Dice in there in in that band, and he was doing some stuff. Oh, in the '90s, I would still see him around once in a while. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think that was. And and I don't know what song they covered. I think I remember Chuck had a really early song called uh, "Anti Gravity Robots" or something like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Lewiston, Maine, and yeah. but you know, trying to find an original name is pretty difficult. Um, you know, they, it, it, no matter what your name is, right. you can uh, you can find another band yeah. with that name. And that's why you know the whole the the, the whole striker name. And I, I mentioned this to Brian. Uh, that really wasn't a name that we 
selected or, or, or wanted to have. Um, we, one of our band names was The Shaft, and, mm. and we were starting to get a lot of gigs and starting to talk to uh, agents to book us. And an uh, agent from Montana had a bunch of jobs for us. And he said, hey, guys, I can't book a band called The Shaft. <laughs> uh, you know, and, that's, and we like we like the name. Like I said, we, we like, you know, the, the Stones and the Kinks. Right, and the, yeah. you know, and, and so, so we, we were always that kind of band. But we had to come up with something instantly. He said, well, I, I, I'm ready to book these dates. Can you come up with something? And I looked around the, the, the Steve's room. We were actually... In, in his house and looked looked around and saw a bowling ball called Strike Liner and I said uh, how about Strike Liner and the agent said uh, well how about Striker and I said okay done uh, and and there was a there was another band in Seattle called Striker so mm. we we changed Striker from an I to a Y and but it was you know to us it was sort of sounded like the kind of band that we weren't. Um, you know, it was just, it didn't kind of really fit what, what we were doing, we thought. Mm-hmm. And so um, the first chance we got, uh, we changed it to the Zeeks. And, and Where did that come from? Well, it was, we like I said, we wanted it, a name like the, the Kinks or, or Seattle bands like the Heats. And we, we liked that name because it looked real symmetric, real symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, on each side, you had, a, you had a Z on one end and an S on the other end. So you had those you know letters that, that look kind of symmetrical on each end. Mm-hmm. Then on, on either side of that, you had the letter E. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, you had the letter K, which was kind of symmetrical. So we, we thought the name looked kind of cool in print. And yeah. then... We like the name. We had heard about some rattlesnake hunters in, in the valley, older guys, and they called rattlesnake Zeeks. <laughs> and so we thought, eh, I kind of like that. And, that's and, very, so, that is and cool. so that's, that's kind of how that came about. Well, uh, are there any other uh, thoughts or memories, uh, cool bands that came through the town you want to tell us about? Well, we, we touched on a lot of them, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, we can we can save some, some info for Volume 2. Oh, 100%. But, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. But it was, yeah, yeah they were, they were I, great times, and a, a lot of great friends. Some of them are around, some of them aren't around anymore, and uh, you just, you really look back and appreciate that stuff, and it's fun to talk to younger guys like you that are discovering it for the first time, and then um, kind of providing a a portal in time um, that uh, that other people can discover this stuff and look at this stuff because you know every every town like this has its own musical story and musical history and and so it's great to, when it when other yeah. people pick it up and and when um, new guys are starting to play and forming bands and picking up instruments and it's just it's sort of a an American tradition that continues. It's great to see. Yeah. Well, this podcast isn't only about music. Um, it's it's just valley centric. So I thought right. before we before we had just a couple quick questions for you to end on, but I thought I'd give you an opportunity to if you want to talk about the loggers at all. When does the season start? Where can people get tickets? Um, or and and if you wanted to give out any contact information for yourself, you can do that as well. Yeah, well, the loggers were were in the off season right now, and we're about ready to go into our seventh season, and uh, we're the, we're the the first band to be granted um, NCAA membership. Um, that happened in, in 2017, and so uh, that we're we're kind of a one of a kind. Um, a coach, <laughs> a coach I was talking to, 
uh, a couple months ago and said, you guys, you guys are a, a unicorn. <laughs> and I said, well, that's great. If you're going to call, you know, compare us to a crypto, I'd, I'd rather you use like a, a Loch Ness Monster or a, a Sasquatch or something. <laughs> but anyway, we, we are a one-of-a-kind program. And uh, so we're playing NCAA football and we play some NAIA teams. And, and uh, But it's a real challenge, you can imagine. I mean, we're, we're playing against bands or playing against bands. Bands, yeah. uh, football teams that have every conceivable advantage oh um, sure millions of dollars and a hundred players and coaching staff at, of 12 and and on and on <laughs> but it's great it's it's great to be um asked to that dance and included in that mix and and stuff so so yeah um we don't have the the uh, schedule out for this coming year that'll probably be come out in april or may okay and we'll keep people updated when it does yeah and uh uh as far as tickets, uh, Pro Image sells tickets, but typically people just buy the tickets at the gate, and okay. uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've always liked the idea of creating something where something doesn't exist. I mean, it was similar to doing concerts here. It was fun to bring a band like Kansas here, for example. Oh yeah, um, and and kind of do the like I said, the abbreviated version of what what you know bigger places are doing. And, and host stuff like that here. And it's kind of the same with the football team. Um, college football should exist in Lewiston. Rock and roll concerts should exist <laughs> in Lewiston. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just great to kind of blaze a new trail and, and present something that hasn't existed here before. Absolutely. And I think that segues us nicely into um, sort of this thing that we're going to try out that I've heard other podcasts do, which I think is kind of fun, which they call the 222. So... Um, we were going to ask you sort of two of your favorite local bands that you can remember from that time period or any time period really um, two instruments that you couldn't live without and maybe a couple pieces of advice for, for people starting out in music today uh, okay what was the first one again <laughs> so it was, it was two of your favorite local artists from any period Oh, there's 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 so many great ones. I mean, it, you know, to to mention two would be to leave out. Why don't you just bit. give us a little list? Though? Yeah, that's but, fine. Well, I mean, Stone Stone Garden was was really great just because of that whole '60s era and and how much their sound kind of represented what was going on. But you know, in in, in the '70s, you look at bands like the Seidel Brothers, and they were as good as as you got. I mean, as far as country, I mean, everybody thought that that band was going to be national or international they they probably could have had they been in some musical mecca musical center like nashville but the, the those guys in in that band were so talented um the three Seidel brothers but so many guys like dan faller and marty lucambill and jeff young i mean many went through that band and and uh, and they were really great um and so there was yeah and and many that came after you know, when we were playing a lot, like some of the band, bands I mentioned, like Brad Parsons is doing very well, and um, the guys that are in Seven Devils have been in many, many bands, and, mm -hmm. and so there's just, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of great talent, and Lewiston was always known for that. They, they were always known um, for having um, a, lot of, a lot of great musicians and a lot of great bands, and like I said, that, that predates rock and roll. Uh, my dad was in a band called Gentlemen of Note, which was a jazz dance band that was really great. And there's a whole rich history of, of jazz and, you know, dating back, you know, decades before the, the rock and roll era. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it's a lot of great players, a lot of great bands. Cool. 
And then do you have, um, I know you mentioned you played bass for all these years, um, do you have any any two instruments that you couldn't possibly live without, like any, any two favorites that are in your, in your collection? My dad said you used to play trumpet. Used to play trumpet in, in high school and uh, played piano um, as, a, as a young kid and uh, a little guitar and a little bass, little drums. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to, I, I, I don't want to pick really, I mean, the thing that's great about guitar is, is you can entertain yourself and your friends, you know this, Brian, by yourself. Yeah, uh, right. And, and other instruments, you really, I really don't like selecting one over the other because mm-hmm. there's so much better ensemble. I mean, like, for example, you know, bass and drums, and I mean, it's... It, much better you know, playing with an ensemble or, or playing with a band. But the thing that's great about guitar is being able to, to write and sing and entertain yourself and your immediate surroundings. You know, so um, guitar is so versatile in that way. Cool. Yeah, and uh, finish it off. Do you have any advice for people playing music? Uh, it, whatever your aspirations are, um, whether it's to you know to, to make it big or 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 make a recording or play live or just um, get better so you're amusing yourself is to do it because you love it and and uh, whatever it is that you want to do with it, um, don't stop. Um, keep keep doing it and keep working at it because it. Very few people are overnight sensations at whatever they're doing, and you've heard about the book of you know it takes ten thousand hours, right? To, yeah. for, you know to to perfect your craft and all that. But if you're loving what you're doing, it, it's it's not work. And um, just remember that whatever you're trying to do, most people get ninety nine no's before they get a yes on anything. Whether you're a songwriter that's trying to get a song published or whatever it is, for most people. It's perseverance, um, you know. Like Darwin said, it's not the it's not the the smartest or the strongest that survive. It's the the most adaptable and and uh, tenacious. And um, just you just keep keep pushing forward. And if you love what you're doing, it's fun to push forward and you keep working hard. And 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 if you you don't reach your your goals or your objectives. Um, hopefully you've had a ton of fun along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bob, we really appreciate your time. I know you're pretty busy, and we will definitely look for another excuse to get you back in here another day. Okay, guys, thanks. It's been my pleasure. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Right, man. Again, thanks to Bob for coming in. That was uh, super fun. Oh, that was cool learning all that information. Again, I can't believe how many bands there were in town yeah. playing all the time. Yeah, I mean it is crazy, and it's it's like you said. I mean it's I guess at the same time not that crazy because it was just the cool thing to do back then. Everybody started a band. Everybody in high school had a band, and man, that would have been an awesome time. Oh yeah, for sure. 
Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Catch us again. We'll, we'll have our next episode out next Friday. Um, and then one more time, some of the events that are happening this weekend. Uh, tonight, uh, we've got Shania Parejas. Um, this afternoon, oh, that's tomorrow. We have Shania Parejas tonight. Uh, Gregory Ray's Abundance at Deja Vu Yoga Studios at 7. Tone Sober at MJ Barley Hoppers around the same time. And then that Kelly Wolf duo at Lindsay Creek. Uh, as well as the senders at the Elks Lodge. And then tomorrow, the 18th, Shania will be playing at Brock's. Parejas has a wine glass painting at noon. And then Mark Fowler's playing at Parejas at 7. So uh, keep in touch with us, um, and we'll we'll keep you updated on, on the events that are going down. That's right. And if you want to find us on Facebook or Instagram... You can follow us on there, search for us just at Old Spiral uh, Podcast. And then again, if you want to email us about the show or events, just email us at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening, everybody.